Here we go. Take 10. Welcome back to School of Calisthenics podcast. This time I'm going to get it right. We yeah. just finished with Ollie Frost, a great conversation. Ollie's focus in his training now is mobility and movement, and there's some absolute gold dust in here um, for you to guys, which is really going to help you if you're looking to get improvements in either of those areas. Yeah, it's uh, he's come from a background. I actually had the pleasure of playing against him rugby-wise. Um, five years ago, he finished playing rugby, a similar time to me, but he's done a lot more movement and mobility than I have, and um, it was really great to um, hear his perspective and and there's lots of nuggets of information that you can go away and try out and put into your um, your own training, your own, whether you're trying to work on your movement or whether it's just part of your warm-ups. But um, yeah, plenty for you to go and take away. So I hope you enjoy listening to this week's podcast. So Ollie, welcome to the School Card Senate's podcast. Um, just for anyone that um, doesn't know who you are, hasn't um, come across you before, then um, just give yourself a little brief introduction. I know that um, we actually play, have come across paths before playing um, rugby, which I always find is uh, quite interesting how we then end up in a similar space. But yeah, just tell the audience a little bit about um, where you've come from and sort of what you're about now. Cool. Thanks, Jacko, for uh, having me on. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've recently um, stopped playing full-time rugby five years ago, um, where I spent the majority of my career at Worcester. And um, I'm from Hereford, so um, West Midlands, born and bred. And then um, five years playing full-time rugby. And then I moved down to London to play for London Welsh. And then I stopped playing rugby. And then I've been basically full-time uh, coach, um, PT, since then. And I've been doing part-time PT for about probably about 10 years now. And um, something I've always been really interested in. And then now it's brought me to this stage now where I'm just all stuck into it doing it every day and, and no more rugby which has been a bit of a transitional change but um, I'm enjoying it so that's where I'm at at the moment Do you miss playing Ollie? Back in I, I, I sometimes people ask me that question do I miss playing and I'm like yes and no it's a really funny one because I really enjoy what I do now but at the same time nostalgia you can look back and I did enjoy when I, I, I miss playing well I hated it when I was <laughs> I don't miss when I wasn't playing Yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely miss the competitive side of everyday sort of like being in an environment where you know, it's quite unforgiving and you have to push your standards quite high. And when obviously now you know, work, working for myself, so personally, I'm you know I'm trying to drive my business forward and help other people as much as I can. But from a training or physical point of view, myself, it's slightly different, and I'm not having to prepare for a game or a match on a Saturday, which is psychologically different as well. But it's also it's nice to have the mental breather from not preparing for that every Saturday, but also you do miss that, um, you know, that team spirit and being with your mates on a Saturday and, you know, and putting together something really special, which you prepared for all week. So the weeks are slightly different now and it's, I'm tailoring my own efforts towards helping other people, which is great. And then also trying to further my own physical development stuff as well. Yeah, well, on that, on the, on your physical, your personal physical development, you've you've got heavily into anyone that follows you'll see like you've got heavily into um, your movement and your mobility. And when you say you finished playing rugby five years ago, um, which is pretty much similar to what I did, um, and then I look at your pictures of you doing like the splits, I'm thinking mm-hmm. we obviously do something quite different in our <laughs> training approach because. Well, and, and I'm interested to know from your background, like were you one of these guys? And there's not there wasn't many of us within a rugby squad that were. We were, were really flexible, but like, you know, I didn't used to be able to touch my toes when I played rugby. Um, Can you now? Yes. 
I can comfortably <laughs> touch my toes now. But um, it's, indeed, still, indeed. Still, it's still a massive work on for me. Um, but yeah, where, where were you at when you started and, and what got you more, what got you into that side of, like we see the sort of our space in calisthenics as like movement and strength, those two pillars of our framework, but those two things combined and having to work in sort of synergy yeah. together and uh, things like yoga being a bit more movement based as opposed to like the strength side of it. And probably we focus probably more on the strength side of it than, than the movement, mm. but you need them both. And um, well, yeah, just where have you got, where did you... Where did you start with that and what sort of things you've been getting into? Uh, so, yeah, I was definitely not very flexible playing rugby. And I was, you know, I was, when I when I grew up, I was quite fortunate. I did a lot of dancing, so I did a lot of break dancing, um, where I was, I probably moved really, really well then. And then um, got to when I was like 16, I was all right, playing rugby every day and then, you know, doing the dancing. And then I had to make a bit of a decision and then I stopped dancing unfortunately and then I went into rugby and then when Jesus started rugby and started lifting weights excessively I lost all the like the natural sort of movement and the dexterity from all the stuff from dancing and which is a great shame really and then I played rugby all the time and then rugby conditioning and weights pretty much is just in, like irreversed all the good work I did growing up really yeah. um, so then after rugby I've made a really conscious effort because I know I can I've still got a really keen interest in, in movement and movement and moving differently as well. And and I felt that I didn't want to end up being like, oh, I could have moved probably better than I did when I was younger, but I've used rugby as a bit of an excuse to that now I'm like how I am. But when I left rugby, yeah, I was really not mobile at all. Um, and I wasn't doing any sort of movement training during rugby as well. So I was just strictly doing um, you know, sort of heavy compound lifts in the usual sort of, and um, rugby uh, conditioning work, so I was not exposed to not much, any sort of movement or mobility training. So, yeah. if you had your time I again, would really, you do that a bit differently? Do you think? Yeah, I, I would. Um, having sort of the knowledge I know now and the understanding of how to um, generate more mobility, and I think it would have complemented my rugby as well a lot. And I think. I would have. I didn't really. I don't really realize at the time how immobile I was or how stiff and uh, how stiff and sore I was. But I think if if I knew 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 now what I knew then, I would be able to recover better, and I would be able to. You know, I think it would definitely would have helped everything. So my strength training, my competition stuff, and then um, yeah. So it's just it's, you know you only learn obviously a lot of these life lessons as you grow older and. Um, and I hope rugby does turn into a sport which does have a bit of better understanding towards movement and mobility yeah. because I think it's a massively untouched subject. Yeah. And that between the physio bed and playing the competition, there's a massive gap for this movement in prehab or rehab, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's when we were playing, I think it, it was an area where we didn't take race seriously. And it was like, oh, you're sort of chucked into small groups and you're doing some small exercises. But if it was packaged in a slightly different way and it was players were educated on how the benefits of mobility training could be, then I think it could be a massive yeah. upsell and it could really help yeah. physios, everyone, you know. Yeah, no, I've seen you've been, one of the nice things is you've been, um, it gives you the opportunity now to like give that back to players that have seen that you've been, you've been working with like in the off season with guys that want to come in. Yeah. Um, feel free to name drop here. 
um, of some guys that you yeah. <laughs> being able to give that back to. And if you know, if you if you hadn't have done, I think that's one of the nice things about using our experiences that we have done from sports or outside, whatever it is, that to actually like be able to give that to other people whilst they're in the middle of it, rather than them f- finishing and also going, oh yeah, crikey, I should have done a bit more of that. Yeah, no, exactly. So I've had um, Alex Davison, who was um, up at Leeds last season. He's assigned to a bath this season in Scrum Half. And then um, Rob Miller, who's at Wasp. He's been there for a fair few years. And it's it's really interesting to see them come in. And and even now, you know, I'm not going to you know name their club conditioners or their physios, but I mean, they, they're still not exposed to this kind of training. And I'm not sure whether that's a time issue. And it's hard. To, I know it's hard to manage a 30-man squad and everyone's got so many different aspects. But I think it's still an area where they should maybe look at bringing people in. You know, I mean, I, I would love to be affiliated with or, you know, yourself as well. You go in and do like some sort of workshop ideas and, you know, just give them a different approach to just, you know, obviously, yes, they've got the static linear work, which is awesome for their power and strength development. But then there's also this other area of, movement and mobility which can you know encourage and complement a lot of other um areas of um their training and also their playing as well yeah um, um northampton are working with hot pod yoga so it is it is starting to happen and people are recognizing the need for it i think it's probably just uh it, these things take a long time i remember at the beginning of my rugby career and away games, we used to have a packet, a packet of crisps, a Mars bar, and a, and a white cob. That was like yeah. that was where nutrition was at sort of fifteen <laughs> years ago. And but yeah, you know, yeah. it takes that long for stuff to actually change. I think uh, my, yeah, my no, feeling within yeah. the sports performance space is, it, is it's coming. I mean, mm. Conor McGregor was a was a big trailblazer in that, and obviously it's a very high profile with the work they did with Ido Portal. But there's a lot of the UFC yeah. community starting to kind of take. Um, take the mickey out and I remember the interview with Nate Diaz in one of those fights where he was literally going like you're playing touch button in the park with your mate and it was like <laughs> it's awkward because it's uncomfortable for people and it's disrupting the space um, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking that from I don't know from, from the outside looking in from bridging fitness and sports performance starting to see the fitness industry and this movement culture if you want to call it that becoming more prevalent mm-hmm. it'll, it'll move in and then there'll come a time after a while where we're doing loads of movement in, in performance i think and then it'll be like oh yeah, yeah. wrong because if we go through these kind of phases so of kind cool. of what's <laughs> yeah what are people talking about yeah, conferences? Yeah. um and that's as coaches what we do we kind of pick up on these trends and we go and start trying stuff and the, the skill in that is being able to balance all of those things in especially in a professional environment where you've got demands on training and you've got recovery demands and mm-hmm. everyone's trying to have a piece of that pie it's then how do you find stuff which fits in which leads me beautifully onto a question which i'm quite keen to ask is that people speak to us sometimes and go let's talk mobility um what's the best for mobility and, and that's probably not a conversation that we can tick off in, in one sitting but if you're going to take some form of improving mobility for people which isn't kind of just sat in, sat in static positions which I think people find quite difficult to adhere to and something which you could throw into a rugby club and the guys could get engaged in it, it's fun it's interesting rather than sort of sat in, in as best as a splits position you can yeah it. what are people's options yeah. around that what, what what can people get a good bang for the buck on but it's it's sort of a, a bit dynamic a bit engaging a bit fun what, what are your kind of thoughts around that um, so, I mean, I, for me, I'll, whenever I'm assessing or looking at um, mobility, it's always about looking at the joint first and looking at the, the articulation around the joint. So it's 
moving away really from passive stretching and it's and it's looking at how well can the joint perform and you know can your hip work like a hip and that's working through all the angles and all the ranges which is readily available to you and when you get to a level where you've been doing mobility for a long time it you shouldn't necessarily have to warm up because your joints should be sort of readily available ish to perform the task at hand so it's it to, to basically educate people on that mobility isn't passive stretching and mobility requires the strength component and that 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 strength component is ultimately what's going to get you that that long lasting range of motion for example if you look at my instagram i've got a lot of story highlights which looks at different types of mobility so it looks at loading mobility so whereas i'm using it um, external sort of forces whether that's the ground or a surface area to push against or that's using say kettlebells or light dumbbells to externally load the tissue itself um and then looking at once the joint can move like a joint first so say we're doing some shoulder work or hip work then once the, the next stage then is integration integration is then looking at um more open movement so then looking at more edo stuff so it's like more open playful uh, environment and um, games it is it, it as such so it could be you know, sort of put a tennis ball on the floor and you know, stand in the opposite direction and try and lean back and try and pick the ball up off the floor. And that's then using the joint articulation, that's using what you've built up over time into a more open uh, environment. So with my personal coaching, I use a different, use a lot of different methods. And the main method I use is that the FRT approach, so that's functional range conditioning. And that's looking at the joint first. And that's a systematic approach. And that's trying to, break down each joint and looking at what what's readily available there and is is there an issue and how can we overcome it and then the next stage is then looking at more open movement so and then developing into the stuff which you guys do is obviously the big movements which is maybe the back lever or the ring holes and but firstly building the prerequisites first around the tissue and around the joints to enable that to happen um yeah. would be that's my school of thought but it's, it's definitely passive stretching has a has a role um, but really that's not really going to affect long lasting change and all the all the work I've personally done and with clients I don't I haven't I haven't been able to do the splits for example from doing passive stretching so I've done a huge amount of day in day out hip articulation and spinal segmentation so it's maybe doing some cat cows but doing them really really slow and focusing on the spine and moving the spine independently um, and that's allowed over time for neighboring muscles and tissue to become more compliant and then being able to allow me to do moves like the splits. But it's interesting because I tried to do the splits yesterday and I almost got a full split, which I was so happy about. But I haven't, um, I don't actually train the splits. So I don't actually say I'm going to try and do the splits. I, I just do a huge amount of different movement around my hips and then give it a little test run every, every couple of months and then I you know and it's nice to see that progressions happening without me actually concentrating solely on being able to do the split you, you, you touched on there um about the the spine and something I keep seeing for you on your Instagram is everyday spine day um yes yeah. probably like I think it's 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 an interesting area because I don't think many people would have they might have um chest and back days or, you know, when they're thinking about... Sometimes three chest days. <laughs> yeah, but when we're thinking yeah. about back, they actually just mean, like, training, like, the lats and whatnot, rather than actually yeah. the population of uh, moving and, and 
and working the spine and um, be interested to know what your thoughts are on that and why it's so important. And I'm assuming there's got to be something related to when you're talking about integration of these these other things. It's obviously going yeah. to be great between so, no extremities. I think basically, I think there's like over ninety percent of your brain's messages get sent through your spinal cord. So if, yeah. if, if 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 you have no spinal control or like people with lower back pain or you know or they've got tight traps, for example, it it. I personally have found I'm not going to quote like statistics but I personally have found that if your joint doesn't work or the spine isn't working it um, proficiently then the neighbouring tissue so for example the, the traps or the lower back will become tight because the joints surrounding it aren't doing their job properly and that's a compensation factor so with the spine obviously people think that there's not much movement in the spine but there's a huge amount of movement in, in your spine and it should be able to flex extend and rotate but we've we're we're scared of spinal flexion and we're because when obviously years and years ago like if you went to a doctor with a bad back we said how should you lift up something you know we've always been taught to deadlift with our head up and our chest up which is completely fine if you're lifting in a, um, a heavy weight but when do you walk around the house and if you see something on the floor do you squat down with your head up and your chest up you, you don't so your, so your 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 spine can naturally flex, and I'm not saying you should start deadlifting 100 kilos with your back in a flex position, but you can do way more in a flex position than you think you can. So, I mean, the the Jefferson curl is a prime example of as a fashionable mobility exercise, which has got popular. Which I personally don't use that much of clients anymore. I I use that right at the last sort of stages of them having the icing on the cake, so to speak. But once you've got a decent amount of hamstring flexibility and lower back control, then the Jefferson Curl is an amazing tool to develop you know, posterior um, chain strength and strength at the same time. So, But people would look at that maybe five years ago and go, that's a really unsafe exercise. When this exercise has been used for, I don't know how many years, but a lot of years in gymnastics. So high-level gymnasts have used the Jefferson Curl for years. Um, to prepare, to prepare their bodies and then with with spinal exercises themselves I mean the the cat cow is uh, if, if you can do a segmented cat cow so that's you know on all fours and you can separate all through your lumbar spine and, and you can really work through each vertebrae properly that's a huge skill in itself and if you take a lot of um, clients or people who are quite sedentary and, and you ask them just to maybe just segment their thoracic spine and you'll you'll see their whole spine just move at once and they it's really hard to to learn it but once you can learn that the crossover into other movements is much easier because you have this control and the more control you have and the more neurological control you have which is over movement pattern um that ultimately gets you better results in anything you want to do so mobility for me is a gateway into more sequential activity so it's not really being amazing at doing cat cows. It's more you being able to do cat cows than you being able to go and do box jumps, levers, sport activities, go and play with your kids. Like, you know, it, it, the crossover into doing more other activities is way more important. So, but before that, you need to build the prerequisites and joint control first. Yeah, I think one of the key things you're saying there, but even just taking that cat cow as an example and, and movement of the spine, the, the word when you say segmentation, 
um, just reminds me, we did a, uh, I don't know if you've come across him, um, Dave Fleming from AMN Academy, um, where he was talking about um, so much stuff around that affects mobility um, around like the, the nervous system and, and the, the fascial system like and everything coming in together. And one of the big things yeah. we were talking about was um, almost like the difference between someone just doing a cacao and just doing it compared to like being yeah. really um, specific um, and having like high levels of attention um, into exactly those mm. sort of specific movements that you're trying to do. And I think um, the application of how we do things is so important compared to the exercise that we're doing. Whereas I think as a, yeah, as a, mm. as a consumer, sometimes we're like, Oh, what, what exercise do I need to do for this? And actually it doesn't matter if you've got the right exercise, mm. you're doing it wrong. And I think that's, that's, Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. You put it on the head there, really. It's too um, easy. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I mean, one of the things I always mm-hmm. find is, and it actually comes on to something that seemed to me you were, uh, last week, that when you're busy, and me and Tim are always very honest about how, like, like, like training needs to be part of our life rather than like, bec- like being the whole of your life. Um, we need to be realistic mm-hmm. about what we can do and how much time we've got, and that then means for a lot of our of, of our audience are. You know they've got they've got family they've got kids they've got busy jobs and actually training needs to fit in and bodyweight training allows us to do that because you can do a lot of it at home for example but one of the downsides I find personally of trying to fit a session into a busy day is that that session can become quite rushed sometimes and the level of um, attention to <laughs> my spinal segmentation in a warm up is probably yeah. the level it needs to be, and finding that balance is difficult. Um, like, how long are your sessions? That, well, yeah, how long are your sessions that you do? And actually, the, the comment that I saw from you was that rather than trying to fit a session in, you were just you, you said something like mm. you're just trying to you were going to move more from the second you wake up to the second you go. To yeah, um, mm. I just didn't yeah. thoughts I on think that, that, fitting stuff in. Yeah, I mean, I've, um, I think, well, we, we, we've, we've all come from that rugby background where it's like Ray Regiment, and then you get in the gym, you get your clipboard, and you've got to tick off your weights for an hour, and then it's like you're done, and then you have food, and you have, then you train, and then that's, that's like your day. So, I mean, I've, since stopping rugby, I've tried to have a more fluid approach with my own training and with clients, and then, right, I'm going to the gym to train, and then I'm going to go home and set the sofa, more think. Okay, if, if I might not have a, the whole hour to train and I've got clients um, throughout the day or I'm busy or if my clients are busy themselves, then it's thinking, when can I fit in a little bit more movement around the day? So maybe if I wake up and I do some 10 minutes or 10, 15 minutes there, then maybe top it up throughout the day and just try and look look, look, look at the whole 24-hour period as a, as, a, as a chance to do as much as I can. And then... Because like with the same exercises, what you do is there's so many there's so many exercises I I can do without even going to the gym. Yeah. So I can just sit in a squat for ten minutes and then just do ten minutes of hip mobility, and that's like right, great, that's ticked off. And I can just do a little bit extra each day. And you know, ideally, I I can set a, a clear block at a time, but obviously life gets in the way, and it's 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 about like you say, picking the right exercises, but then also doing them with control because. It's, it's, the, the exercises themselves they look really simple so when people see me do demonstrations like oh I thought that was going to look really easy and then when you <laughs> yeah. just said it that, that was really hard um, which I get quite a lot or you made it look really easy when that's actually really hard but that, it's just it's just um, it's just taking time over what you're doing and if you've got five minutes do it with like 
do it as best you can and then switch off from it. So, um, yeah, yeah. it's, um, go on. And I think that's great. I think like the stuff that we, we talk about handstand practice and someone mentioned to us a while ago, like calisthenics is like, it's like the new yoga. Something in yoga, people are so busy. They have to go and find 30 minutes to sit in a dark room and, and just relax. Whereas actually mm-hmm. the stuff that you're talking about and, and we find the same in calisthenics with some of the skill acquisition phases. And again, the, the conversation we had with Dave Fleming, he was also talking about the importance of the neurology behind that. And we've kind of thought it's quite important from mindful kind of from a spiritual perspective, just connecting with yourself and taking your mind off all that other stuff that you've got going on because you've got to focus on the task at hand. But the neural the neurology behind that of actually starting to connect and rewire yourself so you move better. I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost a bit shift change because I'm very much in that space where I need to be carving out small pockets of time because I just don't have that 90 minute chunk anymore. Um, I tried to train last night, but by the time I got Jack to bed, Corin was kind of like, my wife was like, okay, now let's have dinner. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I need to train. And I literally got like 30 minutes in. Yeah, that um, was Jack, not Jack. Yeah. 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 Don't put Jacko to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you put Jacko to bed. He'd like it. He'd like it. Yeah, a little boy. <laughs> a little boy. Back in bed, I, yeah. can't, I can't sleep unless I've been tucked in. <laughs> Um, but it's almost like it's, a, it's an evolution of your training habits because habitually for a long time I've worked out for 60, 90 minutes in one go whereas now to shift into just doing little bits I have to be really conscious about breaking away from my computer or just like because it's almost like oh, just do a set of 10 pull-ups it's not really worth it it's not really worth it if I can do less I can do four sets and you go well it is worth it because it's constantly yeah. giving the brain yeah. something to think about and if it's one set of max pull-ups and the last rep is my last rep that's going to do something it might not be the greatest adaptation but it's keeping things ticking over and it's better than doing nothing because yeah. you're going oh well what yeah but within that like again if you're picking something like what you're talking about with some of these these movement and mobility exercises where I've got to be in, in it actually what's the productivity benefits um, from a, a mindfulness perspective of when I sit back down at my desk, I've actually given myself a little bit of space for free thinking. Um, so mm. it's a really nice, really interesting way, but very much for me to do that, it, and I guess a lot of people that are listening, it has to become a very conscious thing that I have to make effort to. Otherwise, I do what I do this week, and I've trained once, and it's Friday, um, because I haven't managed <laughs> to which is not great. So Yeah. No, exactly. You know, and I think we've all got, yeah, like things around us which we can use to help us. So, I mean, like two two big exercises, I think, which are just like fundamental to any movement or health and fitness or life skill is to be able to just squat properly and is to be able to do a decent amount of hanging. So, you know, if, if, if obviously there's not bars everywhere, but if you, if you can get to your local park and just do a few minutes hanging every day, I mean, you, the benefits of that, you know, you're decompressing your spine, you're working on elbow strength, grip strength, shoulder health, and then, you know, squatting. If you can just try and hold a nice deep squat for a couple of minutes each day, you know, you work on ankle mobility, hips, knees, and, you know, all all, all of a sudden you, you're keeping everything sort of ticking over. So, you know, cogs on your bike, so to speak, and keeping that oil you know, ticking over and that's that lubrication and that's that constant, just, just you don't have to be spending hours and hours and hours in the gym each week to get improvements you know obviously in an ideal world we'd all be paid professional athletes and we'll be we can train all day every day but that's not that's not realistic and yeah. it's it, there's so many different little ways you can work around mobility and movement and it's and that's what's amazing about it is you don't need to be confined to a gym and you don't need mm-hmm. to be in you know in a rush hour doing a six-point session and rushing your day you can 
you can think, right, have I got half an hour at lunch? Can I do a little bit here? Can I do a bit before I go to bed? Can I do a bit before I wake up? That's 30 minutes straight away. So, I mean, that's that's going to help something, you know. Yeah, um, something you said there was really yeah. interesting because Jack, my little boy, is 17 months old and, and when I watch him, I'm, I'm, I'm loving watching him learn to move because it's amazing because it's effortless. But the two things that he's been able yeah. to do since he could walk and even the thing he could do before he could walk, before he had strength in his legs, was he had grip strength and he had, um, and now he can move, he's up on his feet, he can squat beautifully and he's actually got a really good... Yeah, nice. So he, he's like, <laughs> we out walking in the park. <laughs> We were walking in the party the other day and he's on the edge and like there's a curb on the end of the, of the walkway and he just stood on the end of it and went straight up so he, and like literally picked something up which was lower than where his feet were. I'm like, it's a deficit RDL. I can't, I'm just watching him. I'm like, what are you looking at? Like, it's beautiful. Just give it time. But you go back to those natural instincts and go, yeah. when he bends down to pick something up around the house, he basically does a stiff leg deadlift or he squats and he sits in that bottom position. And if I now like let him go yeah, onto yeah. my fingers, he's got grip and he's understanding now pulling from the from the shoulders in the back. And if I, I actually put him up on my pull-up bar, I don't think that's not abuse, is it? But he, he actually grabs on and he flipping, he, he's got yeah. these basic things. And then we kind of like go through full circle. We play rugby for 15, 20 years, whatever. And then we realize we're a bit beaten up. Um, and then we go back to trying to get some of these real basic natural movement patterns back which you realize actually really good for us and really important the same things that we could do when we were babies what's your advice ollie mm-hmm. for people that have gone through some period of, of, of neglecting these things and they, that could have been 10 years could have been 50 years in some people's cases and actually you're saying like, i find mm-hmm. it quite comfortable to sit in a deep squat and I actually opt for that position because it feels good but there'll be a lot of people that i've trained that literally can't get anywhere near a squat maybe like 90 degrees and it's awkward what, how, do they, how do they get started on, on sort of chipping away at something which probably for them feels like a fairly sizable mountain in front of them? And, ju- and, well, and just to chuck on top of that, like Tim saying that the, uh, like it is, like Tim hasn't taught little Jack to do a hip hinge for his RDL. Like he just does that. So it is natural. It's not. Mm. But when, when someone's trying to do one of the, do maybe try and get back into a better, some better position, take a hip hinge as an example, like, Sometimes it can be very difficult getting someone to get that pattern. And if they're working on their own, for example, have you got any tips on them on how they would actually, because they might not even know that they're do, when they're doing it right and when they're doing it wrong. And when you don't know you're doing it wrong, it's very difficult to get it right. Yeah, no, it is hard. And the actual squat itself, I mean, it's, it, we're fortunate enough to be able to just sit in the squat. But that, for some people, I've got a lot of clients around who, who can barely hit that 90 degrees and that seems like a massive obstacle but the good thing is that your body and the connective tissue within your body will change through you know through mechanical loading and it's the same principle of getting stronger it's that progressive tissue adaption and that's given you know the body the, you know, the right signals and the right input to change and just taking the squat I mean it's it, it, it is it is hard because if 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 you haven't been squatting for years and start squatting, it's it's just not going to happen straight away. So, I mean, I would start with um, some some standing hip articulation work. So that's so there's so there's cars from FRC, so that's controlled articular rotation. That's basically standing um, against a door frame um, with just for example, we're working the right hip, the left leg standing near the door frame, and we're taking the right knee up, and then we're doing a full circle really, really slowly around um, in round and then back to the front. And that's, if, if, if you go on my uh, Instagram and you 
got on hip mobility. I'm sure I've got a, um, a hip car on there. I, 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 actually, I've done a post on it, actually, um, which has got hip articulation on there. And that, for me, would be the foundation because that's then giving the joint some more feedback and that's going to help encourage the mobility around the joint. And then once that feels like it's not to the point where it's really, really sticky or there's a restriction through that hip range or your torso isn't moving too much, and once you've got a solid hip articulation, then we can look at maybe going into the squat. And to begin with, with a squat, you could just do box squats, for example, some safe box squats, or you could do a squat against the wall. So if you're squatting against the wall, that the wall's going to give you some more uh, support. You could do a squat with your heels raised, so take out um, and remove ankle mobility from that straight away, um, oh, and then just working gradually through through those. Sorry, yeah, that oh, just yeah. makes me think. I just want to pull on you and you, uh, give you quick knowledge there around just that point around using those progressive differences in, in like the size of the squat that, that plays back to what you talked about around building strength, right? So you're not going to stretch for hours and end up mm. all of a sudden have like loads of range of movement. You've actually got to work towards this. Yeah. You've got to create some range and then actually strengthening that range to then get more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's, yeah, no, exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if someone is learning how to do a better squat, I wouldn't give them five passive stretches because once you passively stretch, you're, yes, you're lengthening the tissue, but, ultimately not affecting the change so once you go back into that squat or that stretch you'll feel tight again so we're just going around in circles that's why you know that's why it's really important first to address the joint first and get that to work properly and get that stronger so getting getting that strength through the joint and then for me passive stretching is like the icing on the cake so that's like giving you more you know more range again but first and foremost is working the joint first and doing lower level activities to doing the hip articulation, then doing maybe some assisted box squats and some wall squats and then maybe some elevated squats with, with some plates. And that would be a good start. And reps wise, I, I don't like to describe certain reps to people. I think you, you have to kind of educate yourself on reps and be like, what's important, like, understand load for your body and understand what's pain and what's discomfort first. That's really important. And what's actually, can I push through discomfort? And if pain's there, then obviously stop. But people need to understand that, not just be thinking three sets of 10 or three sets of eight or four sets of eight. It's like you can push yourself further, but it's, it's down to the individual, I think, to understand their parameters a little bit as well. Um, obviously, with some guidance from a, like, from a coach, for example, but I think, long lasting changes they need to be able to go away from you and be able to do a mobility session on their own without you saying look you, you this is the plan and you have to be yeah. strict and rigid about the plan yeah giving people um, the tools to be able to actually um, make the change yeah yeah and i think the numbers thing is that we always talk about that not being magic numbers and the same way and we talked about before going um you know the, the, you can pick the greatest exercise but if you perform it badly it's not gonna it doesn't matter if you found out what the best exercise you need to do is. And the same with like, with, with numbers, like how many, how many reps should I do? I think it's really great for you to, to hear that. Um, you know, because if yeah, someone might be wanting to hit 10 for a certain reason, but it doesn't mean that nine or 11 isn't going to actually do the same job or maybe even better. If you they do nine great reps, yeah. one's a bag of, I sometimes want to do seven just because I feel sorry for it. Like, <laughs> no one does seven of anything. It's either six <laughs> hypertrophies, eight is, 
seven and nine. It's because you've never done uh, 21s. <laughs> get so you get your seven. <laughs> not in the manual. They don't say seven in the manual. <laughs> um, I think that's what's good about movement is it's, it's, it's not a stringent, strict approach. Like there is areas which is, this isn't like you're doing five by five deadlifts like with three minutes rest. Like you can have a bit more freedom because it is more movement, open movement, which is nice. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and you're making people be mindful because they're ha- you, you're saying, right, you need to now do this movement practice with intent. How many reps am I doing, Ollie? Well, no, I'm not going to tell you. Your, your body is going to tell you. You're going to listen for your body's feedback, which is great. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, just, this definitely. is great for me. <laughs> I want to ask you a quick question. Yeah. <laughs> Self-myofascial release, foam rolling, release work. It's become really popular. It was part of the, the foundation courses that I did, which was with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, I've, I've come across a fair amount of opposition in the, in the, particularly down the academic side of it because it, it came from a place of not having a huge research base, but research is now kind of catching up with the applied practitioners in the field, which is often the case. Um, my kind of personal experiences is from a, in terms of creating a small short-term um, adaptation where I've got the restrictions or tightness at the beginning of a session, it works, it feels good. The athletes that I've worked with, they feel better from doing it. What are your thoughts on it and, and how does it fit into your practice, if at all? Um, I personally don't use the foam roll at all um, or, or with clients just because I think it's 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 not cheating cheat, cheat is the wrong word like you, you're you're giving people a false sort of for me in mobility that right well you're, you're going to try and do um, an end range position and just smash yourself in the foam roll for five minutes and then we'll see how far you can push that end range whereas in actual fact they haven't it's going back to that that joint compliance and this you haven't earned that yet so you doing it is kind of like it's tricking your nervous system into being able to do something so people for example if they're doing heavy back squats but they need to foam roll their, their quads or their hips because they need to, is, is it kind of it's misleading because I think they should have that strength already and that's the angle of being able to perform better from a recovery standpoint if you're using it because it helps you feel less tight and helps you recover better, great. I think using a smaller object is much more pinpoint accurate to using a tennis ball yeah. or using a, you know, like a cross ball. One of the actual, yeah, exactly. That's 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 going to hit the spot much better. And then when you're on the spot, you're doing really, really, really small micro movements around the tissue, um, which is which has been slightly inflamed or it's you know, it's tight, but I wouldn't use it to to, to 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 trick people into being able to do something they can't actually do because I think that's not good as well because that's not really teaching good habits and um not going to help long term kind of benefits either because you have to kind of use things all the time external things to help you get into position. That's why I don't like to use loaded stretches too much and Jefferson curls overly because it's. They're great, but they also do they do um, promote greater range of motion quite quickly, which is really, really good. So the person will be like, oh, great, I, can, I now can do this really quickly. But that's, that period of flexibility or range of motion will only last for maybe seven to ten minutes and then it will diminish. So I think you're better off being, on, being honest. It's the same with you're doing calisthenic stuff. You're doing the progressions are slow, but the results last for a lot longer. Yeah, so you don't be, you, yeah. you know, you don't, you, you, you don't hit a bat lever 
and doing a few cheat exercises. But then when you want to do a back lead, it's just like casually put your mates in the park. You can't do one because you've got to do X, Y, and Z before. Mm, yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, you know, for a recovery standpoint, if it works, you great. But I think don't use it as a tool to trick your body into quick release into doing something else. Yeah. That's my, that's just my opinion. In a training perspective with athletes and, and, and our own practice. And I agree. I think you're right. If you, if you, if you're doing something which is giving you range of movement, that you then don't have control through, then you've got a problem that comes back yeah. to you and with the strength. But I think right, when we go back to our conversation about getting this mobility work into performance sport, I think the, the, the realization comes with in a, in a training environment is that we have to, we want to be able to we want the guys to, be able to move better. So if they come in and there's a squat there, whatever, and they're all jacked up and the ankle mobility is pretty poor, jump on a foam roll for a few yeah. minutes or let's say tight and loosen the hip flexors off. And then we would then tend to follow that up with a bit of glute activation. So you're starting to then educate a bit of control through that range. So you, you sort of mm. take them through a process before you then go and get them under the back squat. And I think that's that's probably the important thing in everything that we're talking about the training is actually there are probably different ways of achieving some outcomes. Some of that I agree with you, like that the foam rolling is very much aware of that's only a short term range unless you're then going to go and add some strength into that. Um, I think it's really interesting. Mm. That's why I think flexibility, mobility has become quite it's great to have you on because it's adding some clarity, but people can get a bit confused because there's so many options of things that people are talking about, but what you're talking about and probably which is consistent across all of them is the basic principles of mobilizing a joint and then making sure you've got strength within that range. And then that's the, the brain then just goes, well, I can actually, I'm comfortable now. I don't need to revert back to creating an artificial tension to stabilize a joint or restrictions in range for whatever reason, because I'm confident in the system that I've now operated within. So, um, yeah, really. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to jump in and because we talked a fair amount of around um, hip mobility and just to, to finish off things with just moving further up the chain um, to the shoulder because a lot of the stuff that um, mm. we're doing in calisthenics um, is, is upper body based and then obviously integrating that to the rest mm. of the chain. But a lot of the load and the mobility requirements and the strength requirements are around the shoulders. Um, I know that you've, you've dabbled in your flags uh, human flags yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. Tim did have a comment that apparently your left big toe was slightly was half a, a millimeter <laughs> off. Um, it was on that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, didn't want I mean, to that was the pipe up. <laughs> but um, yeah, but no, you, that was yeah, literally um, the uh, a snapshot of mine. Yeah, I'm not, um, yeah, I mean, the shoulder is um, so the, the shoulder is actually the most mobile joint in the body. Um, it's 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 so complex how it sits in the shoulder girdle and obviously. With, 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 with the rotator cuff around it and obviously you've got then the scapula so there's so much going on and if there's for me again it's just going back to the joint by joint approach so I, w- I, I would do the cat cows and all the segmentation first through the spine then looking at the shoulder blade control and you, you can spend a huge amount of time just looking at shoulder blade control when you're doing um, for example scapula press ups you know, starting from kneeling then working up to doing full um, scapular press ups. So I like to use a band at the moment, so just like a, a medium resistance band around the top of the shoulders while I'm performing these exercises, yeah. and that just gives you more feedback as well when you're doing it. Um, another one, uh, a great exercise which I always do with everyone is is basically called swimmers. So you lie um, prone, so you, you lie flat, arms out in front, uh, extended, and then you have two objects either side. Um, you could put some shoes or some kettlebells or some dumbbells and you will slowly then lift the arms over your head 
around the objects and behind your back, but you're doing it with complete control and you're trying to squeeze as much as you can out of your arms so there's as much tension as possible. And that's just going to encourage more shoulder mobility and then also some scapular health then as well. Yeah, um, the, and then the, the equivalent to what you were talking about with the hip with like a, a, a cars. Yeah, so yeah, so you can do um, that one's uh, lying down. You can do um, standing shoulder articulation as well, which is basically a forearm circle. But the difference is when you do cars is that you're doing it really slowly and you're basically squeezing um, your. It's basically called a radiation, so you're creating tension throughout your whole body. And that, and the theory behind that is that the more tension you create, the the neighbouring tissue around the joint is also going to get a lot stronger. So if you just stand there swinging your arm around, it's not really going to have much um, use. But if you stand there slowly and you take the arm through the full range of motion, and then again, there's more stuff on my Instagram on the highlights bit, which just shows a bit more about this. I think there's, I've got one on my shoulder. Um, so there's more than one articulation stuff, and then and then there's then to release and open up the thoracic spine, which is obviously it's pretty it's pretty difficult. But there's there are some good ones you can use. So there's there's a, a nice one which you can do if you're lying on your back and um, if you've got a, um, a box, for example, and you lie flat on your back, and the and the box would be across your upper back. And then what you do is you'll have your arms directly above your head straight and then you'll try and drop your hips down. And that will itself put your thoracic spine on quite a, quite an intense stretch. And then to make that harder, you can then add a weight on top of your hands. But as long as your arms are straight and your legs are straight, then you'll get a really nice stretch. Yeah. And with those kind of stretches, I try and do it for about two minutes. And then within that time frame, you can add more load and more tension through for example if you're in that position you can uh, think about forcing the shoulder blades together maybe for 10 seconds and then relax so it's a bit of like pnf stretching yeah, so relax, yeah, active yeah. work then relax so yeah. there's is i think time frame and around stretching needs to be two minutes minimum in one position um but what I like to do is I'd like to add contractual stuff as well within the stretch so you're not just passively stretching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's, there are a few good ones for your um, shoulders. And then... Um, why, can, I be, just, can I be slightly annoying and go say, on. Um, why the two minutes when, for example, previously um, we were talking about that it's not an exact number of reps you need to do for something, but then... Ah, uh, okay. So that's fine. So I think there's so there's research to suggest basically that the minimum time to change if your if if your sole purpose is to is is to affect change for flexibility or in in that time frame, then you have yeah. to stretch minimum time of two minutes. So mm-hmm. if you so a lot of gymnasts, for example, they will. Like if they're doing static hold stuff, they'll stretch for like three, five, six, seven minutes at a time in one position. Um, but to begin with, a two-minute time frame is actually a tough time to do in one position. And then if you add in any contractual work as well, and anything below the two minutes, and yeah, this is where you have to be a bit more specific about that. To be fair, this is actually the only really um, defining time for me on the on the mobility is the, is is the two minute two minute minimum hold on on any passive stretching and that's uh, because otherwise 
you don't give your nervous system all a chance to you know really adapt properly as well. And it, it's also going back to just rushing through exercises. I think you're much better off picking three exercises and doing them properly than picking six and doing them for 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, jumping in and around. Um, I know why I can't yeah, do splits. I've been only doing it for one minute fifty-five. Tim, it's gone wrong with the day. Yeah, that's it. You, you <laughs> need those extra three seconds. That's it. Um, that's when the magic happens. <laughs> Ollie, we're just going to try and wrap get this up. Too- so um, yeah, of course. Couple, I've, got, I've got a couple of questions just to finish off. Well, we obviously talk a lot about redefining your impossible, um, and I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on what are you currently working on because obviously you're, you're, you're journey has evolved over time um so what are your current goals and is there anything that you've got in the impossible box which feels like it's a bit of sort of a difficult audacious scary goal that you've got on the horizon but actually you know you're gonna have to put some work in to get towards um i'm continually just trying to work towards um improving my overall sort of condition from from a mobility standpoint but then i'm putting it into more of a open um um movement style so I'm trying to do more gymnastics but not so much formal gymnastics but more tricking um so that's a bit more parkour a bit more um sort of jumping off things but not to that extreme extent but there's a few things I want to try and look at so more sort of aerial flips and more sort of not not um um, not 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 overly extreme technical tumbling sequences but being able to do really nice round off the flick flack into back handspring and being able to do that comfortably and that's going to take myself time to learn properly as well so I'm I go and see um, a coach actually in East London and he's a former gymnast who does more the tricking stuff now so tricking is a little bit like cheap gymnastics so you don't do all the formal progressions um, but you but you can it's great fun so that's probably going to be the goal for me long term is to do more stuff like that and also it's nice because you're on an air track and you can sort of throw yourself around and it's not too um it's not too intimidating but important yeah yeah that's it and it's just keeping training fun because obviously we've i think we've all had like the experience of professional um training and which is pretty full-on and you know like it is it's called pre-season fun every single time pre-season comes around i always thank god (laughs) I mean, I'm lucky to be sat on the sofa, which is bad, but I think I had, an, had an, enough of those shuttle runs now. And obviously there's so much more now we've we've all found out about your body and how much more you can get out of it. So I want to keep getting as much out of it as I can at this yeah, age until I'm probably too scared to flip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think there's, yeah. um, there's something that I would definitely take away from the conversation and a real important highlight that I think mobility working a lot of people's training is almost like it's, it's not the thing that they get massively passionate about um but if you ask them if they want to move better they'll be massively passionate about that and there's almost a disconnect between those two things everyone mm. i think who's tried to move in a new way it's certainly in our, in our community within calisthenics and, and, and yours as well all of a sudden you realize oh, i can't do that and i feel like i want to be able to and when you're in the confines of a sport like rugby you probably don't really realize what you can't do because you, you're not challenging yourself outside of what's Mm. for the technicalities of the sport so I think I would just encourage people when they when they listen to this and the takeaway from me and I hope it resonates with some others is like if it's something if you want to move better you've got to understand that you've got to, there's a journey towards that and it's an investment in time and it's something that you've got to want to do just like anything else mm. um, and maybe some of the starting point is not that sexy like when I first started calisthenics it wasn't as sexy as it is now 
but it was yeah. that roadmap or that 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 uh, motorway towards something else that was of value to me and I, I think that kind of spans anything in life really whether that's family life work mm. life careers business and, and whatever but um yeah investing time and and, and committing to the process is, is again where the value lies because you ultimately if you do that you're going to have something which is of real value to you which is a spine when at 75 years old you're still yeah yeah rather than a lot of people that i see that are just stuck in wheelchairs or nursing homes and can't get about i don't yeah. that's mm. not what i want and i think um my no, it's with, exactly. with um, being being more mindful and taking time to um to actually connect with your body like the, you take the spines down it takes take some time to actually make that make some connection like internally with your with your body how it feels how it moves when you are going through um your movement practice which might just be actually part that's just like part of your warm-up um for one mm, yeah. or it might be that you're splitting it up throughout the day like you were saying doing 10 minutes here 10 minutes there and you might do an hour session but it might be six ten minutes mm. whatever fit, yeah. thing from for me because i've had a, it's hot on my mind i've had a few messages on instagram through it recently where um and this is my opinion like but training shouldn't be our life like training should enhance our life it shouldn't take over um mm. like we said we're not professional sportsmen and even at that point it needs to be an element of your life not overtake it um and I think that getting that round the right way round in our mind is is a really important thing to do. And and everything that you've touched on today is is really great on 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 having that nice, almost like holistic approach to how we're going to train and how we're going to move. So I really appreciate your um, yeah. time, Molly, coming on. No problem. Um, if people want to, yeah, yeah, thanks. It's going to be Instagram, and, um, but just where is that the best place people um, can find you to find yeah. out more about you? Yeah, so it's uh, Ollie Frost uh, PT on Instagram, and then it's uh, com, and uh, that's the website which has been built by my um, lovely girlfriend. Oh. And um, yeah, so that's it. And um, perks of having a partner who works in SEO and website development, which is good. So, um, <laughs> and then um, yeah, so that's that's it really. And then um, I also offer uh, online um, mobility coaching as well. Um, which is um, which is going pretty well actually. It's something I didn't really think about before this year, but that's been really good. So um, I'm really enjoying that. And then obviously got my one. Great, yeah. <laughs> Get on board. Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, See, that's it. And then um, if you're based in London or in this area, then I'm available for one-to-one coaching and small group training as well. Um, if you want to do body up systems or one-to-three or one-to-four training, that kind of thing. So, uh, and also going to be trying to do some workshops as well. Uh, hopefully in the next year or two and keep pushing the uh, the message and who knows one day I might have my own space but we'll see if uh, London rent ever changes uh, we'll have to see <laughs> Yeah, well, if you, if you if anyone there is, is in London interested, make sure you do get in contact with Ollie. We will, um, we're definitely going to get in contact with Ollie when we're next down in London. That's we for have sure. To give a shout out to Darren and Laura as well. We have we have a reaction of yes. like, calisthenics. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll put all those links um, in the show notes so people can just find them dead easy by uh, just clicking on them. So, yeah, so, Ollie, mate, thanks so much for your time. It's been an education for us. Loads of great take homes for that for people, and um, certainly like, we're looking forward to hooking up with you in the future. And um, you can have a look at Jacko's hamstrings because he needs some help. But until <laughs> next time, class dismissed.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, School of Card Science podcast playground session. If you have enjoyed it, and we would really appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes or whatever platform you're enjoying this on and give us a five-star review. We realise there is one to four, but really it's only about the five stars. Mm-hmm. And that helps people to find us and we get to share this information with others. We hopefully can help them to redefine their impossible. Yeah, it's totally not about just trying to help our build us some confidence. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're not at all insecure. So until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>